to do, man. Mr. JC, how you doing? Hey, man, you beat side. I mean, you uh, you full side right now. I'm trying to get like you. I got to get this taken care of. How do you know where I'm at? Huh? I know exactly. I know exactly where you at. I know exactly where you at, man. What's going on? I've been working, man. Working, just trying to just enjoy it as much as I can. Everything's good, man. I see your hair growing. Uh, a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah. You got a, a beverage? You have, you have a beverage? What's going I have on? some. Ni- I have ice cold water for myself. I respect and, it, man. And an Amstel Light. Don't ask me why I'm drinking Amstel Light, but Amstel yeah, Light. that's okay. Listen, man. That's, that, that's all they. That's all they had here. My choice. Yeah, um, man. So how's life in LA? What's going on? It's, you know, you know it's it's good. You know, gratefully busy. You okay. know, rocking with work, rocking with pieces. Um, it's been a breeze. Other than the lifestyle, changing a little bit. You how know, it's uh, been good. How are you know things? I mean, obviously, I know a little bit from the piece that I'm getting, I'm working on right, or you're working on for me right now. But yeah, yeah. how Spinel. the overall scale of everything how are things you know affecting your metal workers um you know can you talk about that a little bit and then we can kind of dive into you know oh like all my vendors all my work yeah all your vendors my goldsmith i mean we're almost like new york out here so everything's kind of like you know going really slowly with phases going back to work so offices are closed everywhere i don't want to and I've been working the whole time, but you know, we have I have a few people that I know are my best guys who will come in for a piece. But you know, it's got to just plan out more now than anything. So if I got a couple orders, I got to make sure I put everything into one one time frame to make it work. Right. So I've been working though. I've been working. You know, I got the manufacturing office, so we just keep it three people at a time. Okay. My polisher, my setter my my goldsmith and i'm just there with them making sure things are going it's just really mostly taking longer than usual okay so so people who get the orders in a month are taking two months because you know just the time frame when you have one person working on something or two people you're just extending that time to work on it especially the labor of course you know what i mean um, so but it's been good though i can't complain man time's been flying you know pieces are still coming out beautiful it's been a different process you know uh, man, I, we, but yeah, I mean, I still creating you're Still creating. Thank You're you, man. <laughs> um, so let's keep it I appreciate off. So kinda, that. I, I guess, um, so you My are guy. You know, first generation Haitian American. Yes, sir. Can you, can you talk about, you know, what that experience was like, you know? Hold on. Shout out to New Orleans. Shout out to little one. I see you, boy. That's my guy right there. <laughs> um, it's one of my good homies. Can, can, can you tell us about that experience? You know, um, you know, I mean, that's that is that is you know the essence of New York, but you know, can you tell us what your household was like? What, you know, things what things were like in your home as you were growing up? Um, you know, you talk a little bit about being the child of artists. So can you tell us, you know, what that was? Yeah, like? yeah, yeah. I mean, dive into that. You know, I, I grew. I actually, I was born in New York, St. John's okay. Hospital, but I grew up in Haiti for the first couple of years. Um, my dad, my uncles. My older family, mostly all artists, painters. So okay. that genetic makeup and this creativity came down to me. I just got into my mom put me into art. Just saw the talent I had. So since I was a baby, like four years old, been drawing, drawing, art school, sketching, painting, sculpting, so on and so forth. 
you know, just grew up in that foundation. Oh no. Uh, oh no. She was she was a teacher, you know, and she wanted okay. she saw what I had and she tried to, you know, handle my talents and let me own from a young age. You know, and basically growing up with a single mom in New York and sister, I just, you know, felt like the man of the household from a young age. Felt like I had a lot of responsibility on myself to be somebody, to do something and follow my dreams. But she always taught that. She always instilled that in me. Right. Growing up in Queens. Yeah. So when did you first find yourself, how, or how did you find yourself being drawn to, um, you know, jewelry? And was there a specific art that grabbed you first? Was it drawing? Was it music? Or how did, what, what was that? Project? It was both equally, actually. It's a good question to ask. Um, you know, at first as a kid, I, I didn't really know what it was. It was mostly just art, you know. I had an infinity, though, for for uh, going through my mom's gold. My mom grew up this uh, really dressy, fancy lady, and, you know, always, like, to the T, prim and prop. So uh, she, uh, she always had a nice set of jewelry and pieces that she had. And I just just got drawn to the, the glimmer, the glamour that she was. Mm -hmm. I would I would steal some pieces and give it to girls I had a crush on in kindergarten. <laughs> I would take a bracelet, not knowing it was real gold or not. You know what I mean? Only yeah, finding yeah. out after I got my ass whooping that it was. You know, giving it to certain, certain girls I liked when I was a kid, even from first grade. And, you know, that, that was just instilled in me. And then, you know, growing up over the years, um, it really came into me in high school when I took the four-year art program I had got accepted to in Bayside in Queens. So, you know, I did a fashion class and then they just had me draw some jewelry with his clothes and it just came out really natural to me. And, you know, the whole music part was just growing up in the hip-hop era, you know, okay. P. Diddy, Bad Boy, Mace, Puff, <laughs> you know, big with the the cross the and the, the Jesus piece. Yeah, just all that was just what I wanted to be, you know, inspired to be, just as so fly as them. Can you talk about, you know, what your, you know, the program you were in in Queens, can you kind of talk about that? And what was the first thing that you drew or you did that they were like, hey, you might have a, you have a talent for this. You should actually consider this. Or what made you say, I should actually consider this? Um, uh, the consideration didn't come till a year after, actually. None of this really, like, sparked a light bulb to me until after the fact. So it was a lot more experiences. So, you know, like I said, I went to, I got accepted to an art program in high school. So it was a four year curriculum. And I had to take a fashion class or a different class at that semester. I think it was a third one in junior year. And I chose fashion, you know, being around the girls, okay. being around fashion, jewelry. And then, you know, they, they, the teacher had asked us to uh, draw a set. So an outfit, an accessory, and a piece of jewelry. So what I did was I drew the outfit with the hat. It was a Gucci mm -hmm. bucket hat. And I drew this ring. Really abstract, too. I don't know where I got it from. Just an idea I just thought of. But I drew every detail down to it, from the diamonds to the gold, everything. So just from her reaction, how good it was, you know, my teacher really told me, like, yo, this is beautiful. Like, I, I don't know. How you, like, have you drawn jewelry before? And I'm like, no. So that was kind of the first ever experience into jewelry and knowing that I could sketch it. But, you know, in class, when you're bored in certain classes, you know, I would just do random sketching. 
random Google, like, you know, doodling, just doing things. Just to kind of pass the time, my creative mind. And then just before I knew well, I was drawing a lot of jewelry that I seen my favorite rapper wear. And right. then after that, man, it was just, you know, like a, years after that, it kind of hit the light bulb hit to make something happen with it, to delve, dive into the business. But it was a lot of experience. It was a lot of, you know, me understanding the culture at the time. Like you had mentioned Chris Ayer at one point mm-hmm. at, on, on the post you had in the story a couple of days ago. You know, I, I remember vividly when he came into the scene and did a piece for Damon Stoudemire and a lot of basketball players. And, yeah. You know, LeBron later on. I even ordered his catalog. It's called Two Awesome International, just to have it in the crib. I, I couldn't afford anything, but just to, you know, I loved it. I, I, had a, I just loved what he was doing. And to see another black man that I'd never seen before in that business doing it, it just gave me a lot of, you know, confidence to say, maybe I can do this. You know what I'm saying? Be yeah. honest with you, without seeing that or having that experience, I probably would never have been in this business, to be 100% okay. honest with you. Because it would have been scary for me to jump, jump into something I had no idea what I was getting into, and there was no one that looked like me doing it. Right, you know, that, so. I mean, I mean, and that was kind of, I mean, that's, I mean, aside from just, you know, me wanting to tell stories, part of why I wanted you to come on is because, <clears throat> aside from Christian, I, I don't think most people, unless you are, you know, like us students of hip-hop and- Yeah, know, 100%. You don't know who Chris Ayer is. You don't know who he is. And the then man you also, and, and the narrative is like, and I, I hope this doesn't come across as, I'm just going to say it. I think the narrative is that, you know, that these, this industry is run by a certain type of person that looks a certain way. Yeah. And, and they don't look, and that, that person doesn't look like you and I. And so part of why I wanted you, to, wanted you to come on is to kind of talk about, you know, what it is like to be in this industry, but not only be in the industry, really be at the, at the peak. I mean, and you haven't even reached your peak yet. That's the crazy no. part, right? You've been you, doing it for, doing it for three years on my own. Honestly, it's, it's been blown by fast. I don't think I am, but I appreciate <laughs> your perspective. No, I mean, on like it. you are in terms of like your client. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have reached like St. Jules is as big as it's gonna get, but I mean, in terms of clientele, I mean. I mean, I'm sure they're like, you know, there's, there's the Royals and all that stuff. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you I'm are, grateful that, it. yeah. I'm grateful that the that would spend that kind of money, let me do my own thing and be full autonomous to making right. what I want to make for them. So, yeah, in that aspect, I agree. 100%. And it happened so, really fast, so it's still kind of startling a little bit. You know what I mean? But... <laughs> it can be a little jarring like shit it can be a little jarring it puts a yeah. pressure too but i love it though you know I, I think the pressure you know makes me better you know to keep going and making bigger and doper pieces but it's happened so quick it's crazy no but way. uh the pressure makes diamonds right 100 percent. yeah that's, 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 that's the that's old, that is a truth that's, that's a fact <laughs> um, so um i guess take us through the time between so you go to school you go you graduate um what what happens after school um what what what, what, was, on, what was on your mind so t- can you talk take us through what was on your mind in terms of career was there a career just like man i, I gotta figure it out honestly i mean from that sort of i would say those four years in between before i went from high school to going to gia for gems and diamonds it was just a lot, was a lot of figuring it out you know just living in new york you know every day man just trying to survive really mm-hmm. Honestly, man, living in where I lived at, grew up, grew, up, grew up where I grew up at, just trying to figure out what's, you know, my path because you could get distracted, 
you know, I, I hung out with a lot of different kind of crowds of people. I went, I hung out with the Manhattan Knights and I hung out with the street people. Like, you know what I mean? And I related to both. And that goes right. back to me going, going from high, private school to public school. You know, I went to United Correct. Nations I and I went to yeah. public school. So, you know, I was very versatile with every kind of group of people, which actually was a great asset because now I'm able to make all kinds of jewelry. I'm not stuck into one stigma where I'm just making hip hop jewelry or mm. urban jewelry. I hate it's called, I hate it's called urban jewelry, by the way, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making things that, you know, other groups of people from all around the world would appreciate and like, which I always wanted to do. I never wanted to be stuck in one box. So, you know, so, just growing up, well, man, just go, going through the process, man. And then, you know, and like with life, man, you just got to have faith with things. I was always a positive kid, still am a positive person. And, you know, I would just, you know, go, go, go through, go through the days and, you know, work, hustle. I'm, I'm a natural born hustler, salesperson. So, you know, I had experience in retail. I, I worked for different jobs, you know, obviously I wouldn't call them dead end because I got an experience from all of them that you know that I, i'm glad i had for now but just you know going through a point of phases hanging out with people and then to a point where you know one one friend who's still my friend to this day my best friend rod you know he was doing his thing in basketball and he he knew my talents which i never spoke of which i never right. thought of either this is the story he, i was trying to i was trying to get it yeah so this is the lenny cook story yeah 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 it's lenny cook and rodney Epperson story so yeah so it was yeah. just like you know it was just that one summer where lenny cook was this huge ball player in new york you know as big as LeBron to us, honestly, and, you know, supposed to be drafted. And he was in the fabulous videos. He was hanging out with all the celebrities. So my boy knew him really close from going to high school with him. So we hung out, you know, one week in the summer and he would bring me around to Jacob when he got his watch changed, when he got his new jewelry, so on and so forth. And, you know, that, that put me in a position to understand like really how the business works when I met Jacob, the jeweler and yeah. to see how, you know, how it attracted me to it. But, you know, long story short, my boy Rodney wanted a piece, too. And then at the same time, and he asked me to draw something for him. That was our group called Fab Five. And then uh, I drew a logo just from scratch from my mind. And then he got it made. And when he got it made, I got to see the piece in person. That started the whole custom jewelry, St. Jules business for me, man. The whole lifestyle. Because he got it made and I actually got to see it. And he's like, yo, this is something that this came out really dope. Like, you should think about doing this. And that kind of mm -hmm. sparked the light bulb for me. You know, and then that brought me going back to go meet Jacob again, but he wasn't there and going to his shop on Fifth Avenue and then asking like, yo, how did you get in this business? How did things happen? So all his guys in the store were just telling me what I should do, where I should go. So I just took that game plan and ran with it. And that's where I went ahead and looked into GIA and went to LA and started school. And the rest has been history from there. So you, so you go to, so you, you, you go to Jacobs, folks. They tell you if you're gonna be in this business, you need to get yeah. GIA certified. You need to get that diploma. because because I have no experience. Level. I have no family background in it. No one, you know. So it's like if you right. want to get in this business, you need something you use that people can respect. Right. So you know, I got my gemology diploma. So they told me to go get a GIA diploma. So I'm like, I can get it in New York. I can get it in Los Angeles. So I decided to go somewhere far away from home to leave all that distraction alone. So tell me how, so you, you dip out, you dip out from LA, I mean, you dip out from New York, you head to LA. Tell me about your time in LA, the first go round. The first go round, 2007? Yeah, let's talk about that, it. That's when, that's when Gerard Alexander, the jeweler came, started. Um, yeah, man, I, I came in 07, uh, drove out here dolo from New York. Then okay. just, yeah, two days, man, I just made a plan. I decided I wanted to go to school, took out some loans for it, you know, got an apartment I never saw in South Central at that, thinking it was a nice neighborhood. 
<laughs> okay. For for cheap, I got. I can't. I I drove. Yeah, I thought. Oh, USC. This is not bad. I'm got a little spot next to USC. That was the hood. But you know what? That was the best thing that could have happened. Honestly, man. Of course. That was the best thing that could have happened because I was around my people comfortably. You know, I came from one thing and then go from a whole different, you know, place like I would have been comfortable at. So, you know, I came out here, drove out here, and then started school in about two months after finding a job. And just every single day, five days a week, man, eight to five, just studying stones, studying diamonds. And honestly, I mean, I was the only person in class that had to work after school out of everybody. So I had to go to school from eight to five and go straight to work five to 10 and do it all over again, Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. every single day. So barely any time to study and do homework. But I found time to do it based on my classes, on my tests. Like, it was, I just had passion for it. It was just like, it was just, I was enamored with it. And the beauty of the gemstones and diamonds and how things were created. And just the whole business behind it. So that whole year went by so fast, man, coming to L.A. Met a lot of great people that I still know to this day. And, you know, it was all meant to be because from that class, I met a really good friend who gave me my first job in New York when I got back to New York that same year after finishing GIA. And it was my first job in the Diamond District, and it was from a Jewish lady uh, named Joan Boyce. And she gave me an opportunity to work with her. And she was a celebrity jeweler, man. Did stuff for Mariah Carey, for a lot of NFL players, ball players. And so she let me work directly under her in her office and learn about the business. And that was like my first installation into the business, coming back to New York after school. So you come back to you come back um, to New York, you're working mm. for this lady, and then how this Jewish you- lady with a black husband of all people. <laughs> okay. Crazy, right? So, so this is the, those little signs what, are crazy to me. Yeah, I know, right? So what are, what are your, what's your experience like there? And then what leads you to leave her? And then what's the next step from there? Like, how, oh, man. how did you, you end up back in L.A.? Um, I wish it was all a simple story, like a cliff note of it. But there's a lot of things, man. I mean, I actually, I actually got fired from her. Okay. Honestly, yeah, she fired me a year later. But she fired me for a reason that was like, I was too good to work there type of thing. Like, I was... You know, I was trying to do too much and be assertive. You know, I, I, I was first an assistant, then I was a runner, and then I was, you know, helping her with sales. She gave me some freedom to help with sales, but no commission. She had me pick out stuff for Mariah and Nick, like whatever I picked out, she'll sell to them. So it made her life easier. So she trusted my aesthetic and judgment on what pieces to curate to show certain clients. But then she felt like a lot of her clients were really liking me personally, like personality-wise. Uh-huh. Like, they were really, really like, you know, hey, how's Gerard? They were calling just for me. So, you know, I decided to kind of, you know, show my value a little bit more. But, like, you know, let me get some clients of my own and bring her to her office and to her company. Right. But once I, once I tried to do that, she thought I was trying to go over her head and start my own thing on the side, which wasn't the case. So she fired me. Booted me right out of there. I thought my jewelry days were over. I was like, fuck this. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we here. We, by the way, there's a kid in here, my, 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 my young homie, Jeffrey. Oh, sorry, uh, Jeffrey. I don't mean to curse. No, 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 that's all good. I want to let you know. She was hating, Derek. He said, I'm here. I want to connect y'all. After we get off, I'm going to connect you two. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Brilliant, beyond brilliant. Be awesome. She she fires you, and you're like, fuck, what now? So what do you, so what now? What do you do? How do you, what are the next steps? Man, I was going through a state. I was sad as fuck, honestly. I was like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Let's pay $20,000 for And I got fired from a job that people would die to get out of class to go to. You know, oh, celebrity jewelers. I'm like, damn, this is crazy. Like, 
what am I going to do? What's the next step? So I was just trying to find, you know, jobs in the industry, but being a black man is really hard. Right. And I'm a, I got some stories for you about telling you how hard it is and what you got to overcome and how strong willed you got to be, especially in this business. Because when you walk into the door, they think either you're a buyer or you're trying to rob them. That's their first mm -hmm. instinct when they see me, no matter how well I dressed or, you know, how charming I was. So going back to school in GIA, that's that knowledge in the business and knowing about gems and diamonds was my key to get past that that blockage that people gave me, you know, that that thing they're like, no, nah, we don't, why are you here? But once I started talking about diamonds and talking the lingo, they knew, okay, he, he actually went to school. Oh shit, like this guy really is serious. But anyway, yeah. but like going to a certain place trying to get a job was tough. It was hard. You know, I'm talking about like years, like tough. Um, it got to the point where you know, I didn't work for a year. I was just existed by, you know, just the hunt. Yeah, I was exhausted by the hunt. I was, you know, just disengaged. So it's going through the trials and tribulations of that. And then I, um, fast forward into about 2009, uh, the end of it, um, I decided to start looking again, you know, just on a retail level. So I got a job with David Yerman as part time and um, yep. in, in downtown New York. And that put me back into the business and also helped me out because it put me back into the place where I could talk to people directly and learn about what they wanted on a sales yeah. front. So, which is super important, more than most people think it was. That was like, that's like second school for me, you know, being on the retail level and learning about different people from different background and how people approach high-end jewelry and expensive items. So got a job there temporarily, broke my leg, uh, went through three months of not walking in 2010 and decided like, you know what, New York has just been stagnant. I'm part-time. I'm going to start over and go back to LA because I had a blast when I was in school in LA just to be on my own and do my own thing and really kind of yeah. discover who I was as a person, number one. So at that point, I was about 25 and I decided to do the whole LA thing all over again, buy a car, save my money from the part-time job and just ship it over this time and not drive and just come back and start all over, man. And that's when I came back to LA and started from scratch and then transferred over here. So, so I got a lot of text coming in I'm over here covering the screen. So, yeah, man. So you're, so you are, you know, you, you come to LA. Mm -hmm. Are you, are, do you, do you transfer your job from Yerman? Do you just work, you move it to LA or what is that like? What's going on? Yeah, it was, it was, it was hard to transfer because, um, it was, it was like, they only had one store. So I had to do one of their like offsite places at Nordstrom, mm -hmm. which was horrible in the Valley. They were horrible. <laughs> okay. but you know like you know I, I was never afraid of just going through the struggle to get to a point one thing about you know going back in hindsight and looking at shit like this is like when you jump into something you're serious about passionate about you got to understand that it's going to take time mm -hmm. and you got to understand that it's not going to happen tomorrow but you got to know you're going to go through a lot of valleys you know but the journey is yep. all worth it. So I was, I knew I was going to go through another journey and going to LA and starting all over again being a small apartment you know struggle cup of noodles type things you know what i'm saying so yeah not making much money so but i knew i had a vision and dream and i would tell people from new york that i wanted to do this and it's kind of crazy when they tell me now like yo you used to tell me 10 years ago like you was gonna start your own business and i'm so proud of you did you know and some people i forgot i told that too but a lot of people tell me that so you know it was always a mindset to know what the end goal was you know even in new york when i was working for joan i would tell people um in the business that i want to start a men's jewelry custom jewelry line like high end and they would laugh me off like men's jewelry no one's buying men's jewelry this is like in 2008 i'm like men's jewelry is a no-go go for women's that's it 
and I never listened to them. I just stuck to my guns and understood like, nah, this is going to be it. And the reason why I came to LA was because I seen the, the shift, you know, I seen the shift mm -hmm. of art. I seen a shift of create, creators. I seen the price of New York going up. I'm like, LA is number one, a beautiful city, palm trees, creativity. It was less price to live here as far as quality of life compared to New York. And I felt like a lot of things were just moving this way, you know, music wise was always here, but it was coming more here. So I was kind of just kind of seeing the future for it and made that bet, like coming out here would be it. And I could conquer out here because New York is a competitive place. I'm not great, scared great. of competition, but I'd rather take the path that's, you know, that's less resistance. You feel me? It's only a smart move to make. So I knew if I came out here, my New York state of mind, my hustle, I'll come out here just like on the ground running. And as soon as I got out here again, it was like, my managers in my store, my, my coworkers would be like, this kid just keeps working and hustling, moving fast, boom, 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 boom. Because, you know, I just knew, like, you got to get to it. You can't just be lazy about it. Mm -hmm. So got to L.A., got back here and, you know, started off working again. Finally, a couple years later, got, got a job at David Yerman Beverly Hills in Rodeo Drive. And that was the last job I ever had up to 2016. So walk us through that real quick, because, I mean, that's, that's only four years ago. And now, you, you know, you've catapulted to you know quietly being one of the you know the go-to jewelers yeah 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 i like um, it though i like i like being under i like being quiet you know, I got, and being I, the I, best kept secret we're, we're, no we're gonna get to that but since, yeah, since, yeah. We're, since we're basically redoing we're redoing the first podcast I yeah, yeah. Run through. i want to run through that story so we can get to some of these pieces you know, last time <laughs> i didn't get to talk about the pieces that you've done and you know how you know they've in, really impacted the world especially when Crazy. we talk about I'm not going to talk about it yet. So run us through, <laughs> run us through, um, you know, that last year at Yerman, what's going on and how you got that first piece made. Because I think that story, that story is really, really incredible. Um, well, it was not really the last year, but it was like towards the, the last couple of years there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was working there, you know, and I was meeting all kinds of people, man. Beverly Hills, you see all kinds of people <laughs> buying and shopping. I was just analyzing everybody and how they, how they moved and how they worked. And, you know, I met a lot of great people who are still clients and friends this day too from that. So, you know, like I said, this whole story starts from where it started from, but it all was my journey is all for a reason because, you know, when I got to Yerman, I met a, a client from WME. I don't want to say his name because we don't really talk no more, but he was yeah. uh, a big guy there. And, um, he, uh, he was just always there talking about pieces he wanted to make and how certain things in Yerman weren't there for him. And, you know, I just took the chance to say, hey, listen, I could get this done for you. I mean, I know how jewelry's made and, I, you know, I've been doing this for a while as far as being in the business. I never made a piece yet, but I could get it done for you. And um, he entrusted me. And what really was crazy about it, this, this, this big, huge, major player in music at WME was like, I had this old ring. I want to remake it and make it like how it should be. And I just knew exactly what he was talking about instantly. And he's like, can you do it? I'm like, let me get some research. Let me go downtown in the jewelry district and let me see what I can do. I did my research, did what I had to do, met the people I had to meet, just, you know, being over there on the ground. And then I told them what it was and how much it was for. And right there, he gave me four grand cash the next day. Like, okay, that was the first person ever gave me money to make something at that amount. And honestly, I never seen $4,000 before in one shot. Growing up, I grew up working high where I worked at. So right. it was kind of shocking and also scary that he trusted me with that. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't have to sell them that much. It was like, yeah, I could do it. And this is how much it cost. All right, here. I trust you. Go ahead, do your thing. So I was like, wow. Yeah. You know, that was a really great experience for me, too. But then, you know, it, I wanted to make sure it was perfect, you know, and made it. And when I made it for him and I gave it to him, man, the reaction was like, 
the best reaction you can have to making your first piece of jewelry for somebody who's a stranger. You know, it was literally, he gave me a fucking hug. <laughs> On the street of Beverly Hills, Rodeo Drive, he's like, I love it, and gave me a fucking hug. And that just kind of lit everything up for me differently. Because then after that, you know, working where I worked at, it kind of, I really disconnected it with it. I didn't want to do what I used to do and be the salesman I was. I was kind of really focused on, okay, how can I start doing this more with other people, you know? So it kind of distracted me from working at my own store and kind of think about what I wanted to do. So for the last year working there, man, I was really not the best employee, you know? You would think I wouldn't be successful because I was sitting there, like, not wanting to sell, coming in late, taking two-hour lunches to go downtown to let people know my face and see who I am because the jewelry industry is a small industry. So I was trying to be there consistently so they could know this young black dude came out of nowhere is going to be here every single day trying to make something happen. You know what I'm saying? Making a piece. So when I go down there, see all the Armenians and the Jewish guys, and they're seeing me on a daily basis, they get more comfortable with me, and they tell me who to go to, where to go to. I'm building my foundation. Because in this business, it's so small worldwide. Everybody knows everybody. It's all based upon trust and credit and, and your word. So I was just building that. I knew that already. I was building that. And I used I learned that from Joan, working in Diamond District. So after him, it was a few people I would meet that would do something with me and I would talk, I could do something. And it came to the point where there was a certain client that would come in, David Yerman all the time. And you know, you have those clients that come to the store that just go there just to say hi. They feel like, you know, it's their daily place to go to. And he was the yeah. kind of guy to come in and say hi to everybody. And he never said hi to me because I was very standoffish because it was his talk, he never bought. But um, one day, you know, he pulled me to the side, like, you never talked to me. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to get money, trying to work, trying to do my thing, you know, I'm only for one reason. And right. he would come to, and he came to me, he's like, listen, man, I, I, I watch you and I see you. And he's my friend to this day. And he's like, you don't belong here. Like, everybody here is working and they do what they do, but I feel like you're different. Like, you shouldn't be doing this. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know me. I'm like, well, I feel like you want to do your own thing in this business, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I do. So he was very clairvoyant with certain things. I'm like, yeah. He didn't even know me. I never spoke to him before. So he was telling me, like, I'm going to tell you something the next day I come by. So he came by the next day, told me, like, listen, I... I thought about it and I wanted to like, you know, read your chart or something like about my birthday. I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. Let him do that. He tells me like, you need to start your own business soon because you're meant to be doing something way greater than this. And you're meant to, you know, you're going to be really destined for greatness in this business. You can do some major things. I'm like, okay, I hear it, but I'm like, it's hard for me to believe it. Right. But in a way sitting, sitting on it over a couple months, it really sat on me that somebody, you know, gave me that push and that belief in me wouldn't even know me. So I'm a risk taker, bro. I just took the risk and was like, you know, I think it might be time towards 2016 in February. And I was thinking about quitting my job, you know, and then funny thing happened a month later because of my lack of days ago work and focus on doing stuff in downtown. My manager who loved me was like, you know what? We can't keep you anymore because you haven't kept your sales goals up. So she fired right. me too. She fired me in April, 2016. I left that place with a smile, actually. Not even yeah. sad about it. She was more sad about it than me. I left that place with a smile, bro. And I went straight to bank Wells Fargo and opened up a bank account for my business account. Went straight to online on a legal zoom, opened up an LLC. This was the same day after, like literally the same day, almost the day after I did that too. And one night drew a logo, thought what business I wanted to do, called it St. Jules. My mom used to call me St. Gerard when I was a kid because I was, I was called in Catholic school. I was named after. So I just thought of a name called the St. Jules, random night, thought it was cool. And thought that's the place I wanted to be at with how I want to build the brand and not just about me and not Gerard Alexander, the jeweler. And then uh, that's when the ball started rolling, man. 2016, April. Okay. That's when St. Jules Incorporated started. And it was so, crazy. 
Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no go but ahead. go answer your question. But it was crazy because a week after that, a client who was in David Yerman all the time, we also became a friend. We talk about sneakers all the time. Said, you know what? He's like, what happened? I don't see you there no more. I said, yeah, I, I, I left. Like, it's over. Like, I'm starting my own business. You know, I had no money in my pocket really like that. You know what I'm saying? I just had confidence in it and just the conviction. And he's like, yo, well, you know, I've been thinking about marrying my girl. So, you know, maybe you could do my ring. And then all of a sudden, it was a $25,000 wedding ring. That was the first piece I made starting with St. Jules. Yeah. Did you talk about the ring that you, the thing you got made for free? The guy was like, I'll do this one for you for free. Oh, that was the ring for that guy. Give me a hug. Right, when I first okay, made a piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he, so he saw the potential. He said, oh, this kid's really out here trying to make pieces. And, you know, he's, I see him all the time. He's like, and they knew what he was doing. They, they, they basically invested the free little work to get more work later. And I worked with those guys for years on after that. Okay. So they were so manufacturing. Can you talk, walk us through the creation process? What's the most enjoyable part of the creation process for you? The most enjoyable part would definitely have to be it's, it's, it's like a step-by-step -step part, but it'll definitely, I mean, the drawing part is the best part when I could just sit there and just come up with something and it's a feeling, bro. Like I would just draw something. I'll draw a lot too. And I'll never show clients like different drawings. I'll show the one that I actually love. It's like this automatic aha feeling, you know, mm -hmm. it's like I'm sitting there, I'm doing something and then you get into a zone where you don't even think anymore. And then all of a sudden it's like, that's it. Boom. You know, and it got to the point where, you know, I don't even show you drafts. I say, this is it. This is what I'm doing. That's for you. But it takes us, uh, people don't see behind the scenes. It takes me hours, if not weeks, sometimes to get to that. You know, there's a lot of places where I don't feel comfortable. Like, nah, this ain't it. Does it feel right? I don't like it. But that's the most enjoyable part is that aha moment. Like, that's it. I got it. After that comes the production. And obviously, the production part is amazing. I love showing people the stages of jewelry being made, you know, because I've been doing this for four years, but I'm still learning every new piece something different to do and some other way to make pieces or some different quality to adjust you never stop learning in this business creating a piece ever. i mean that's my favorite part honestly like in i mean and i know like in my queue like not even the one that's like coming up right now the ring but yeah like the, we, we are we've already talked about like three pieces in advance yeah my, yeah, yeah. Favorite, my favorite part is like how we're able to go back and forth about pieces like yeah, I don't think I like this, but what do you think about this? And you, or when you already know, like, yeah, yeah, bro, don't worry about that. I already know. This is just like a, yeah, 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 you, yeah. Do you like the, the shape, the general shape, the, this thing is going to be changed, but I just needed to get something to show you for the general shape. Yeah. Like, I actually, like, I'm enjoying the process of like. And that took years to understand. That took years to understand. I couldn't go, I, I couldn't able to do certain pieces I do now without knowing the it's knowledge I know from making pieces and also fucking up sometimes too and fixing after. So it takes time. It takes experience. You can't just jump into it. Some people come into this business want to be the hustler of it. You know what I'm saying? Like they treat it like it's a hustle, like it's a grind, like it's something they're peddling and selling. But I literally come into this business treat like it's my art. You know, I, I've yeah. lost a lot of money trying to make pieces the right way instead of the profitable way right. for years, you know? But I believed and, and knew like if I'm going to do it the right way, if I lose the money now or if I got to pay even extra on my end to get the client what he wants that he's going to like, it's going to pay, it's going to come back to me. Gonna pay you dividends, know? Yeah. It's going to pay dividends so, later on down the line, long-term, long game. How do you manage? So let's, now let's go this way. So tell us how, how does this new jeweler, mm. uh, I'm off, I'm off, I'm off my question sheet now. How does this new jeweler, I got some you know, jewels too. I see you. Man. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's another. I just had an idea for another piece that I'm, I'm gonna hit you. I'm gonna hit you off offline about. I just had an idea All for right. a, a bigger one of these. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know how we talked about it. Um, Show me your piece, though, man. I made that too. Oh, yeah, he definitely <laughs> made this. This is, this, is, this is St. Jules. This is St. Jules. Yellow diamonds. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I got. I want to do a bigger one of these, like a like two and two, three, two and a half inches. Yeah, with yeah. The, with the um, the Kenya rope with no, no. All right, two, no, two, no two, two inches, two or three inches is a lot. It's a big size, man. That's just. <laughs> I want to make you. That's big. I want to make you what you want, but this is why I do my clients. So I'm very directive, man. I also want to make something that fits who you are, so you're able to wear it forever and years, and it's something that you enjoy. Because a lot of people buy some pieces they'll wear for like a six months because it's trendy. And you'll never see it on them again. And the reason why I know that is because I have clients like Birdman who have given me chunky diamond pieces that at his age, like, I can't wear this shit no more. And he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. And I had to break it down, melt it into the diamonds and make them pieces that are much more his style. And I get it, you know, there's trends and, you know, you want to follow them and you want to look a certain part because that's what's hot right now. But I've never been about that, man. I've always been about what's cool and what's dope and what fits that person like every piece I make is, I keep in mind who's wearing it. It's not just so about making it. Okay. And I don't feel like a three inch big ass diamond pen is gonna fit your style. I mean, I'd be happy to take your no, money. But I want, but no, I need, I need one. You know, I used to be a rapper though. I need, I need, used I need to be, see? I want to be, I need one gaudy piece. I need the EIA Listen, you, logo. You want, the, you want gaudy? With the Kenya, with the Kenya Cuban. With you the, want, uh, Kenya got you. Cuban. And, but, but, but I know that people want to hear about your story. So, and especially, <laughs> no sleep, no sleep, uh, Jose was, can't talk, can you talk about some of the famous pieces you made? And that's where I was going with Yeah, you. yeah, yeah. So, um, can you so talk after about, I, speaking of Birdman, how did you end up with, how did you end up with the, her, the engagement ring for Tony Braxton? Like, it's crazy, man. I, honestly, it was, it was nothing. It was basically, it was just divine. I don't know, man. It was just with the universe. I've really but it was you know me like building clientele man building references building clientele bro i like how you brought the ring up there so yeah. building client building clientele man just you know every client seemed like a vip man and i had no celebrity clients you know in 2017 but i was making stuff friends were referring me to this person you know I, that's where it goes down to like you know personality and also you know how you treat people too man but people were you know being ambassadors for me you know what i'm saying and I had a friend who introduced me to another guy who wanted to do a wedding ring and, you know, he valued her opinion. So he went along and had me make his ring, which is a smaller yellow diamond than that one on the picture. And the, the day I was delivering it to him at his house, he was on a FaceTime with Birdman. So he works in tech. So he was doing some business deal with him within some investment stuff that he told me later on, I found out. And yeah, I walked in and this guy was like, oh, Bird, let me show you my jewelry. He's coming in. You know, he's kind of like a show off. Just got my wedding ring for my wife. And he showed Bird that. He's like, oh, what's up, Neff? I'm like, what's good? Da, da, da. You know, I was like, oh, shit, it's fucking really Bird, man, on FaceTime. You know, I used to watch this guy from the 90s, dude, since high school. I love fucking cash money. Um, so it was surreal in a way. And he's like, and he was really simple with it. He's like, yeah, he made this diamond ring for me. My girl, I'm going to get engaged. I'm going to, you know, propose to her. He's like, I want the same thing like that, but bigger that yellow i'm like okay he's like bro i'm gonna give you his number i'll put you on text you guys do it so i just saw that opportunity like wow i got it this is incredible this is really happening and um he put me on text with him i would text Birdman. he would text back sometimes he would text back very short i couldn't really get out of him what he wanted to get understanding what i had to do with this you know what i mean but i know he told me yeah. he wanted it in a month for her birthday for t's birthday i'm like that's a four weeks from now now I'm like, okay, how am I going to get this big-ass ring that he wants done in four weeks when he'll give me any information what he wants? And, you know, I'm trying to find stones for him, but he's not really replying like he, okay, yeah. I'll get that. 
So um, I just kept bugging him every single day, to be honest with you, man. I texted him every day. Even if I didn't get a response, I just kept bugging him. I called him to the second week in a row I did that. He finally, like, answered and had a 10-minute, maybe five-minute conversation with me and was like, okay, I want a yellow diamond. I want it big. I want it around this price. And he was like, design-wise, he had no idea what he wanted. So basically, I designed that ring just from scratch, just think about what I thought Tony should have. So in between that two-week period of me talking to him and trying to get him on the phone, I was literally sketching a ring. If this was going to happen, and if it does, God, I hope it does, I'm going to be ready for it. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't have much time. And then I found a stone, that big yellow diamond in Hong Kong. It was all meant to be, bro. I was looking for this diamond in a certain price range. I found this diamond, which fit my criteria of perfection at the price point that he wanted to spend. And I got the stone in a week before I had to deliver it. And I had a whole week to make that ring from scratch. Eight carat, fancy yellow diamond, platinum with three carats of diamonds all around it. And when I did it, he sent me, when I was starting the, the stone production, he sent me a deposit, a substantial one. And this guy never met me in my life. And he sent me that money on my wire. And I went to Miami and delivered it, man. And when I saw him, it was like, he saw that ring. He didn't speak to me for two minutes. He kept staring at it. He was like, this is beautiful. And I'm like, I was really worried that you wouldn't like it. But, you know, I was scared a little bit. My first celebrity client yeah, spent all that money. Year. Yeah, but it went well, man. It went really well. And then from then on, he's, I saw him just last week. He's been a client of mine, man, a good, a good friend, you know, a so good dude. So. What what is it like? So does he send? So now you, I mean, it's on the page. If y'all haven't, if y'all haven't gone on. So now page, it's on the page. You know, Tony Braxton, wear my ring. It's on the blogs. Yada yada yada. No one knows who I am, obviously, because I'm still like a one man show. No PR, nothing. You know, and Bird is. But how do you how do you get to? So is he when? Because you you've gotten this clientele, and he's he's yeah. your first big celebrity client. Is yeah, yeah, sending, yeah. Is he sending whack one hundred your way? Like, yo, if you're gonna do a nah, game, nah, nah, chain, nah, 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 not even. With Gerard, that's that's nah, nah, that's later on. I mean, he's the kind of guy that you know, he just wants a piece made, or you make him pieces and he'll buy them. You know, and he always said my he said your jewelry's classy, nephew is classy. So he's always told my jewelry's classy. But you know, even further than that, working with him brought me a lot of places that I you know that opened up a lot of doors for me that wouldn't have opened up. To be honest with you, because you know he's Birdman, he buys a lot of jewelry. Number one stunner. So people say, "Oh, you worked with him," they feel more comfortable. You're validated, you know. So he opened a lot of doors up for me in other aspects. So when I got the Lewis Lewis Hamilton uh, piece to get done, the reason why I got that piece done was because, you know, I had met these stylists that were working with Lewis directly, and I met him in L.A. a few months after that, like in January, you know, on a random tip too, and we connected because number one, we're both from New York. But because they both, when they started their business, their first celebrity client was Birdman. So we bonded off of that. And, you know, because we bonded, we became friends off of that. They gave me an opportunity to make Lewis an earring, to make Lewis a ring. And then later, a couple months later, she called me up like, hey, we want to do a custom rosary piece for Met Gala. Are you interested? And I was like, fuck yeah, I'm interested. Let's do it. So, you know, it was pressure. It was time sensitive, but I got it done also. So that was the next thing. So that whole Birdman thing opened up doors for working with Lewis, working with other people you know, unknowingly down the, down the line. So making the Cash Money Records piece was just built off that relationship I had with Bird already. He's like, you know, I signed this new artist. I just want to make him a pendant, Cash Money West. And that was just, you know, I just, that was easy. That was nothing. So but, how did you, you know. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, how did you, so how do you get the, 
Kyle, or can you take us through the rosary? Did did he did did, did Lewis give you free reign yes, or was DM that? Me. Uh, I didn't DM even, me. Honestly, I only met Lewis casually at like bars, like in Delilah's in L.A. Being nights out, so everything was done through his stylist, who basically did everything. She would run it oh, by wow. him. She was she would send him. She would run it by him, and he would approve, and that was it. The guy's a busy okay. dude, bro. He runs around all around the world, you know. So yeah, I never got an opportunity to actually even give it to him in person. She did, they gave me full autonomy on this one too. Like we want a rosary, do what you want to do. Just from my experience and my knowledge of his style, and Met Gala and being in fashion myself, like just a fan of you know all brands and just the creativity of fashion. You Knowing that Tommy Hilfiger was doing his all white suit for him, I just you know used all that and created a really high end rosary piece. I mean, this was not cheap either. That was an expensive piece. Right, so it doesn't look, it doesn't that was look a work. You talk about that. Yeah, that, that, um, the work big diamond in the middle. Now. We, That's that, a big diamond I, in the middle of the cross. No, not the diamond. I'm talking about that. That um, why can't I? The the pearl. We I t remember I talked about how I want to do a pearl ring. I want to do something yeah. like that. Color, that color pearl. What's that? A um, a koya pearl. Yes, that, it's a koya pearl. They come. They come in blues and silver and gray. The highest luster in pearls that, too. That's the part for me that catches my eye. But, but see, I was I was I, I was doing things like this though, like a piece like this too i was doing things like this before like the pearl like right now it's a kind of little pearl thing where a lot of guys are wearing pearls asap rocky yachty a lot of these rappers young thug like i mean I, like i said i went to school for this i know about fine pearls and fine jewelry mickey moto all these places so i wanted to implement pearls into men's jewelry in a way so i wanted to do it in a way where it was masculine and luxurious so i'm always thinking about what's different and what's trendy you know right what's unique what so stands out we're down to the last 12 minutes and I want to touch on, I want to get, so mm -hmm. folks, if you, if you have, nobody does that. <laughs> if you have, if you have questions, if you have questions, there's a question mark box, please put your questions down there. I'm going to get to those in the last few minutes and, and get everybody's questions. Um, but oh, Sonia, Sonia is on the PR. I know that's my PR girl, my PR agent there, um, Sonia Hendricks. Let's talk, about, <laughs> let's talk about this piece. Cause this, you, as you know, this is my favorite piece you've ever done. The 3D oh, yeah, the KB? With the, with the, the people the thought it was for Kobe Bryant. Stones, the, the Pave Stones. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Can we, what is it like to not only do that, to work with, to work with him, but then also to see your stuff featured in Vanity Fair and then in, on Netflix, on Netflix for their promotional material? I, I don't know why it's not showing, but you know. It's all good. Um, you know, the web piece, number one, was like one of my favorite pieces to make because working with Kenya, he, you know, he's one of those clients like Bird and other like, the, the styles I work with just like you know what do what you do like I believe in you you know and to have that freedom to go and just take a risk or do what I think is dope with honestly no price tag attached to it <laughs> you know it gives it, it really just my creativity really really just full-fledged go out in every way so you know I worked with a lot of high-end jewelers back in the day like I said but I know about I learned about diamond setting I learned about ways jewelry should be made and, you know, a lot of jewelry made right now is very fast and cookie cutter just to make it quick and to make it shiny. But there's a lot of detail that's lost in it. And that's one thing I never, ever, ever try to cut corners with. So this piece was like made in one, two, three, four, 12 different pieces and put together after the diamonds were set just to make sure every corner was covered. Every crevice was covered with stones. There was no metal. The 3D aspect was something I always wanted to do for years, to be honest with you. I just never had the clientele or the money to make it. So when, you know, Kenya gave me an opportunity to do it, you know, I went all the way with it and it came out to be just a fucking masterpiece, honestly. I mean, that's, 16, that's, also, 16, that's also 16 character diamonds, like 2,800 stones, 100 grams. Yeah. 
insane. All VS plus mosaics patterns. So there's actually about 18 different size diamonds on that piece. So think about that, putting a puzzle together. Go ahead. And I'll say that put a puzzle together, but they're all different shapes and not the same shape. You know, they have different edges. This is like 18 different shapes you're putting in and making sure everything fits exactly next to each other. So it's really time consuming. That piece took three months to make. But when it's, I mean, it's but you know, time and quality is worth it because that's a piece that I made two years ago and people are just seeing it now on Black as Fuck. Or when they see it in person, they're like, holy shit, what is that on your neck? That's, that's kind of like your signature though, the mosaic diamonds. Like the, and I, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I specifically requested that for me and Andrew for our yeah 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 because like that shit is nuts and I think what also drew me to your work is the lack of metal like when I when I, every time like I consider like you know there's one other jeweler that I do work with and he's he's here in Detroit yeah, yeah. um he's a, he's been a friend of mine since you know I was a kid mm-hmm. um he he's the same man he's like he's actually younger than me he he and uh, me and his cousin were friends but okay. What is so great about your work is the lack of metal. Like it's it's strictly like you know the the metal work is amazing, but it's the diamonds and how you set them. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, the last question yeah, diam- I ask you is Complex Con. How did that come about? And then how do you manage? Oh shit! I problems? totally forgot about Complex. I totally forgot about Complex Con. Shout out to my boy Brian. He put that together for me. <laughs> he plugged me with uh, the girl, the head girl at Complex at Complex, who was handling the Complex Con. And okay. they want and Cadillac had an idea for them, and they wanted to do a Cadillac logo diamond and colored stone piece and give it away for their their car reveal for their XTS. And they wanted mm-hmm. Nas to give it away to a fan. So my boy Brian, who's well connected in the media game, uh, put me together with his girl um, Isis, and they were thinking about doing Ben Baller, or going with uh, Mr. Flawless. They, that's what they told me. But they wanted they number one, they thought they were they're way too expensive. That's what they told me as well. And they wanted to kind of go with somebody new. And she was kind of intrigued by me and what I've been doing, you know. And that came from working with Birdman and working with Lewis. Mm-hmm. So the, the intrigue was from there. Like, okay, you've done some pieces. You build a portfolio. And they gave me an opportunity to make that, man. I wish I had PR back then because that would have been way more publicized than it was. But I don't, yeah, I'm not mad sure. at it because I was, just, I was just happy to make a piece for them, man. And like, I'm happy to build a portfolio more than anything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The so word, you- I'm just happy. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. How do you make the work is literally everywhere? Oh shit. Can you hear me? I hear you now. How do you manage to be so low key yet prominent at the same time? Or so prominent at and low key at the same time? It fits my personality, man. I've always been humble. I was in high school with Gucci pants on and Prada sneakers in seventeen, bro, and I was always a guy who was like quietly just like always not speaking but chill. But you know, it just fits my personality. I like being the person who doesn't like to be in the limelight, who likes to work to talk for itself, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's just always been me, you know, because I feel like you could get lost in that a little bit. If you start, you know, being bigger than the brand, you know, you could lose focus a little bit too on the actual art. And I actually, yeah. I, I, I like, I like, I, I like, I like finding designers, clothing designers. I like finding artists. I like finding musicians that are not, you know, in the space where they're, they're known by everybody. That just, just like the people who know are the people who really get the art, who really get the creativity, you know, who yeah. appreciate it. So that sticks with me in a way too. And, and I, I pretty much use that kind of, that whole thing with me myself, like how I see other artists, other people, like I like being low key, you know, you know, I want to say just to grow and be big. Like I worked with David Yerman and David Yerman was, was a guy who most people didn't even know how he looked. This guy's been around for 30 years. 
Right. You know, most of the people who buy from them don't know who David Marin looks like, you know, or his wife, Sybil. They just buy the name. And, you know, you could appreciate that because you could live a really dope life that way, too, at the same time. Like, this guy likes to ride his horses and smoke weed. That's what I learned after working for him. Like, that's all he wants to do, you know, and, and design jewelry. And that's why they're one of the biggest private companies in the world, you know, because that's family owned still. Because this is low key, but the brand is bigger than him. And that's why I always wanted to keep St. Jules as. So, okay. I, you know, I always wanted to be the non name. That's why I never called it Gerard Alexander Fine Jewelry. People ask me, I want you to call it by your name, but I never wanted it to be about me. Always wanted to be about a brand that would last longer than me. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like I have stores everywhere in the world type thing in the future. All right, we're going to get to these questions from audience. Yeah. First question is, what's been your favorite piece that you've created? Oof. I mean, they're all my babies. <laughs> like, like yours is, I love. Um, favorite piece? Uh, it's not a celebrity piece. It's an engagement ring I made for a friend um, a couple years ago. It's a suspended two-carat radiant ring, and it had 300 diamonds on it with no metal showing. I wish I could show it to you on this if I get the picture of it. I don't know how to do it, but it's one of my favorite pieces I ever made because structurally it was impossible to make. Every jeweler told me that, like, if you make this, the stone won't last. It will come out. You're going to lose a two-and-a-half-carat diamond because I made it with the prongs and nothing in between. It was totally suspended. You could see the whole diamond from the side, but the prongs all had pave around it. And I couldn't make it too thick, so I made all pave around the bands, too. That's why I had 300-some stones. And that ring to this day has held just fine. And it's like one of the dopest pieces to me I ever made. Well, text me a picture of it. I'm sure. about to right now. Actually, hold on. It's on my page. Um, oh, Jeffrey got a question. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to try to go in order because I, I know a lot of people have been waiting. Um, go ahead. Oh, uh, we, we, uh, John Miller, we talked about that, but, um, what's that? But she said, can you talk about what inspires you in your creative process? We, we touched on that already. Um, and I know we're, we're running low on time. I don't want to, I don't want to skip over folks, but I want to make sure that we're able to, uh, get okay. new information. Can you talk about the way you mix different size diamonds in, in one piece? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, basically when you mix different size diamonds in one piece, they're using the same size stones that most people do. Uh, you lose the effect of seeing where those stones align. So if you put the offset stones or even same box stones and they're all the same size, one millimeter, one millimeter, one millimeter, one, so on and so forth, even though it looks shiny in blurry light or certain places, when you actually look at the piece and, you know, overcast or when it's clear day to actually see the diamond setting, you see the line and formation of how the diamonds are. So it kind of takes away from the design of the actual piece when you see lines. Think about printing something on wax and you see wax lines. So it, it does bother me a little bit on certain pieces. So when you do mosaic, it looks organic. You don't see any metal, number one, and you don't see a formation where diamonds start and end. It's just all just a flow of, of sea of stones. And especially when you see in certain lighting, all you see is diamonds from every size. And every size diamond do shine different. Smallest di size diamonds shine different than bigger size diamonds. So you get the effect of huge light reflection on bigger size, and you get the scintillation of small all mixed in. So it's much more work. It's way more laborious. It's way more expensive and much more time consuming. But the end product is higher quality. So when you look at certain like people like Van Cleef, uh, Bulgari, Harry Winston, you'll notice certain pieces do have that mosaic pattern to them. They're able to do that because they're huge companies and they, had, they paid the top dollar for pieces from the best artisans in the world. But I wanted to take that and start it off and give it to people on the level that's not theirs yet and show them there's a difference. Okay. 
So that's the difference um, with that. What's more important to you, quality or creativity? Would you make a new creative? Damn, I have picked... Y'all got to ask these questions shorter because I can't <laughs> don't show everything. Quality and creativity? Shit, that's... Quality or creativity. Damn, man, that's a tough pick. <laughs> um, I got to go creativity because my creativity is quality. You know what I mean? So I'm going to go my creativity is way more important because creativity lasts. You know, quality you could, you could, you could do, but creativity is the best thing, honestly. Okay. What uh, else? Let's see. What did you do to maintain and scale after getting plugged with some celebrity clientele? Jayhawk, can you ask the rest of that question? Because I can't read the rest of it uh, based on how. Uh, did you maintain scale after getting plugged with some celebrity clientele? What would it take for you to get? I'm trying to read the rest of it. I can't see it either. Yeah, I can't uh, the, see it. the first part of the question um, to maintain uh, with the relationships personally with them, which is, you know, just. Keep in contact with them, man. I mean, on a personal level, you know, I'm making creative, I'm making custom-made pieces for people. It's not like they come into a store and buying something I've never seen again. So, you know, there's a report built there. You know, there's, this, there's a real special thing built there when you build something for them and you, they see it happen. So there's sentimental value to each piece. So, you know, maintaining my relationship with them is the best thing with those clients. And I know from them, I get referrals. My whole business, I honestly, 99% is referral-based. Yeah, I mean, that's, how, that's how we linked up. I, mean, yeah. I, was, I had already, I had already hit you up via DM, but then I saw Adam post like, "Yo, like he posted that you had done the icy chain." Or I saw my, you done the icy my, chain. Well, my, my favorite type of stone. Oh, I forgot I did a piece for Sweetie too. Shout out yeah. to Sweetie. Um, my favorite type of stone is other than diamonds is definitely sapphire, blue okay. sapphire for sure. Um, Just answering it. that. Let's blue see. sapphire is amazing. Most people need more people need to buy some blue sapphires because it's a fucking beautiful stone. Bro, I'm uh, gonna do, no, I'm doing that. I'm doing that ring, but I'm making it a pinky ring. And when I hit you about yesterday, got you, got you. There is no minimum amount, man. I do everything, bro. I'm never gonna go big enough. Have a budget. That's it. Have a budget, and he'll there work is, with your budget. There is no minimum, but don't expect to get the iciest shit for a thousand dollars. That too. <laughs> um, right, I'm definitely, I'm definitely, I'm definitely about giving pieces of. You know, I'm definitely about giving any piece at any price just to have that St. Jules effect. You know, just have that. You have a piece of the company, a piece of my design. So price points don't matter. Um, yeah, we already asked. Uh, if you want to rehash, if you want to go back over it, can you talk about your background slash training in jewelry? We only, got, um, we only got a minute and we already, talk, we, we already talked about that. We only got two minutes left. Background um, Haitian, family of artists, all painters, single mom, teacher, private school raised, grew up in the hood. Um, been drawn since I was five years old, went to art school in New York Students Art League, went to art school in Bayside, and just transitioned to jewelry. So my painting is diamonds and gems and metal. All right, brother. I That's it. You. Thank you yeah, so much man. for giving me your time. Again, Love, Jay. Two hours. This, is another, this is two hours now on the podcast. I know, so, I know. Thank you, thank you, my brother. Um, oh, I'm gonna text you, I'll text you about that. All Go time. get that haircut before you move out here, all right? I need to see you back <laughs> and fresh. Get that <laughs> lineup. All right, bro. Be safe out here. I'll talk all to right, you soon. Brother, take care. Peace. Thank you.